Open up your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 17. If you're new with us today, I'm Jamie, and if we have not had a chance to meet, uh, please, I'll be standing by those double doors on the way out. Uh, Please introduce yourself. I'd love to meet you. Here at uh, Pickle Baptist, we work our way through books of the Bible a little bit at a time. We find ourselves picking up where we left off last Lord's Day in Luke, chapter 17. The text we'll be considering this morning is verses 20 down to the end of the chapter. Luke chapter 17, verse 20. I'll read the whole section of Scripture, pray for our time together, and then we'll work our way through it a little bit at a time. This is the word of the Lord. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered them, The kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. And he said to the disciples, The days are coming when you will desire to see one of the days of the Son of Man, and you will not see it. And they will say to you, look there, or look here. Do not go out or follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. But first, He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. Just as it was in the days of Noah, so will it be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking, marrying and been given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building, But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained from heaven and destroyed them all. So will it be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, let the one who is on the housetop with his goods in the house not come down to take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, Where, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. Let's pray. Father, we humble ourselves and bow down before you and ask that you would give us your Holy Spirit as we consider this uh, somewhat difficult text. And while we have some questions about its meaning, we, we thank you that the main point can be easily seen. And so we ask, Lord, that you would teach us from your word, that you would speak to us, 
and give us ears to hear. Lord, if there's something in my notes which is unhelpful to your people, I pray they would forget it. But teach us, guide us, make much of Jesus in our midst, and let our hearts rejoice in him and be transformed into his likeness and image for the glory of Christ and the glory of Christ alone. And Pickwa Baptist said, Amen. There's an old riddle that my family is fond of, and it goes, what's greater than God and worse than the devil? Rich people need it, poor people have it, and if you eat it, you'll die. It's greater than God and worse than the devil. Rich people need it, poor people have it, and if you eat it, you'll die. Well, you maybe already know the answer. It's, it's nothing. The answer is nothing. Nothing is greater than God or worse than the devil. Rich people need nothing, poor people have nothing, and if you eat nothing, you'll die. A similar riddle could be drawn from the passage before us. And it's a bit silly, but if you'll indulge me. Religion can't see me, yet no eye will miss me. The whole world wants me, yet can't stand me. Christians are in me, yet can't wait to have me. Who am I? Well, from the passage before us, the answer should be clear. The kingdom of God. The Pharisees, the religious leaders, can't see the kingdom. And yet, no, I will miss the kingdom when Jesus comes to bring it in its culmination. The whole world wants the kingdom, but yet can't stand the kingdom. Christians are in the kingdom, yet they can't wait for its final installment. It's a silly riddle, but I think it illustrates a little bit of something that is the enigma of a text like this one in considering the kingdom. Christians often describe the kingdom of God as already and not yet. That the kingdom of God is here already, and the kingdom of God is not yet. It is to come. Messiah has come, and Messiah is coming. Now, on the outset of a text like this one, I think it's apropos to admit to the difficulties. Most of the time when Scripture speaks of future things, there is a difficulty in interpretation. Now, here at PBC, we, we believe in what is known as the perspicuity of Scripture. It's a fancy way of saying that the Scripture itself can be clearly and easily understood. All the most important things are the most plainly obvious things in the Scripture. Now, of course, there, there are parts of the Bible which are difficult, to be sure. But the central message of the Bible is easy to understand. One helpful principle for you as you're doing your Bible reading, and you come across a passage that is somewhat difficult like this one, remember this. The plain thing is the main thing, almost always. Almost always, the plain thing is the main thing. The main thing is usually the plain thing, the plain thing is the main thing. And the plain thing of this text is this. And we'll have it on the screen for you. 
The kingdom of God came with Jesus Christ, and there's more to come. So get ready now, and you won't be caught unprepared. The kingdom of God came with Jesus Christ. There is more to come. And so get ready. Get ready now, and you won't be caught unprepared. Four things that the Lord teaches us about the kingdom of God in the passage that we're considering today. I'll give you all four as we go along, if you like taking notes. The first thing Jesus teaches us about the kingdom is that religion can't see it. Religion can't see it. This is verse 20 and 21 again. Being asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, Jesus answered the Pharisees. He said, the kingdom of God is not coming in ways that can be observed. Nor will they say, look, here it is, or there. For behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. A quick definition before we get started. Our Lord often spoke of the kingdom of God, so it's probably a good idea that we understand what He means. But my favorite definition of the kingdom comes from an author named Graham Goldsworthy. He wrote this about the kingdom of God. It is God's people in God's place under God's rule. God's people, God's place under God's rule. Now, I mean, after all, what did Jesus teach us to pray? Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The Lord's teaching on the kingdom throughout the Gospel of Luke has prompted a question from the Pharisees about the timing of the kingdom and its coming. Now, you, you may have wondered the same thing yourself. When will you come back? When is the kingdom coming? It's a good question. The Pharisees were the religious leaders of Jesus' day, and they didn't recognize Jesus as the Messiah, as the Christ. They saw Him as a threat. His teaching was a threat to them, to their whole religious system. First century Jews had many expectations about the coming kingdom of God. They expected that once God's people lived a sufficiently obedient life to God's law, then Messiah would come, and He would put down Rome, and He would give back the land that God had promised to Israel, to Israel, and He would set up His kingdom on the earth. And Jesus says the kingdom is coming, but not in ways that can be observed. So the kingdom of, is God's people and God's place and God's rule. So people won't be able to pick up a newspaper and say, look, there it is. Look, there's, there's the kingdom coming. Instead, the Lord explained, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Now, we, here, here we have our first interpretive option. We're going to have a few of these. A couple of interpretive options about what the Lord means. Most of your English translations are going to render this in the midst of you. A couple of your translations are going to render it within you. All of the New Testament was written in Greek, and the Greek word here can mean within. 
And after all, God does rule within the hearts and lives of his people. That's true. I have a hard time seeing Jesus telling the Pharisees that the kingdom of God, the rule of God, is within them. Rather, I think it's best to take Jesus to mean that the kingdom of God is here. It is in the midst of you. It is among you. Throughout the Gospel of Luke, Jesus has been teaching the good news of the kingdom of God. And back in chapter 11, if you remember, it was many months ago, Jesus cast out a demon and said, the kingdom of God has come upon you. So the presence of Jesus Christ in their midst, his preaching, his casting out of Satan is the evidence that the kingdom of God has come. After all, the kingdom comes with the king, and Jesus is the king. The Pharisees can't see the kingdom because they don't recognize the king as the king. They don't recognize Jesus as the king, therefore they can't see the kingdom. Religion can't see the kingdom because the kingdom comes by grace through faith. The Apostle Paul wrote that the kingdom of God isn't really a matter of external things, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom comes with Christ who is our righteousness, who is our peace, who is our joy in the Holy Ghost. And though the Pharisees can't see the kingdom, some can. One day everyone will. So point one is that religion can't see it. Point two, no eye will miss it. No eye will miss it. Let's pick up reading in verse 22. And Jesus said to the disciples, the days are coming when you will desire to see the days of the Son of Man and you will not see it. They will say to you, look there, look here, do not go out, follow them. For as the lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will be the Son of Man in His day. But first, He must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. So the shift of the Lord's attention moves from the Pharisees to the disciples, and He begins to prepare them for the coming of the kingdom, or what He calls the days of the Son of Man. Now hold up, you should be saying, whoa, wait, wait, wait. Jesus said, He just said, it's here, it's among us, and now He's telling the disciples, get ready for when it comes. So the kingdom is already here, but the kingdom is, already, is, is coming. So what Jesus is saying is that the kingdom has come, and the kingdom is coming. It's already, and it's not yet. Already in the Gospel of Luke, the Lord has taught us that the kingdom of God starts small. You remember? Like a tiny seed. And then it grows into a big tree. The kingdom of God came in its seed form in the earthly ministry of the Lord through His preaching, through His healing, through His casting out of demons. He was already king. I mean, what did He, what did he say after uh, His resurrection in the Great Commission? 
all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Jesus is already king. But yet the full extent of his kingdom is yet to come. Jesus tells the disciples that there's a time coming when they're going to want to see the days of the Son of Man, but they won't be able to see those days. And so, again, we have some interpretive options here. What does Jesus mean by the days of the Son of Man? There are a couple of options out there. Some take Jesus to mean that he's referring to the days of his earthly ministry. The the disciples will, after his ascension, long for those days, sitting around a campfire and wondering about how great it was when Jesus was with us. It could be. That could be what Jesus is talking about when he says the the days of the Son of Man. It seems to me, though, that our Lord is speaking of something in the future. The days of the Son of Man is a phrase that usually refers to the time of the end when the Lord returns in judgment. After all, that's what the Lord describes next. So it seems to me that's the better option. Son of man is a favorite title that the Lord gives to himself. And he uses it four times in this passage alone. And this phrase refers to a person who appears in a prophecy from the prophet Daniel. Daniel chapter 7, there's a man who's described one who is like the Son of Man is presented before God. Daniel records, And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom, that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. And and Jesus identifies himself as that man the Son of Man, the man who has authority over all the peoples and all the nations and all the languages. Days are coming when Jesus' disciples will long to see the Lord lifted up and recognized by all the peoples and nations and languages. They'll look forward to the day, they'll look for the day when He is exercising dominion over the whole earth. And some will say, look, there it is, here, here it is. The end is near. And Jesus says, don't buy it. Boys, don't buy it. Don't follow them. Well, that sort of thing is alive and well today, as you know. People picking up news stories and saying the end is near. I mean, after all, look what's going on in Russia, Israel, the Middle East. The end is near. Thomas Munzer thought the end was near in his day. He predicted that Jesus would come back in 1525, and he didn't. And then John Wesley thought that Jesus would return in the year 1836, and he didn't. And the Jehovah's Witnesses predicted that Jesus would return in 1874, and he didn't. So they changed it to 1914, and he still didn't. And the Mormons predicted that Jesus would return in 1891, and he didn't. Some of you remember 88 reasons that Jesus is going to return in 1988, and he didn't. Lots of people expected him to return in the year 2000, Y2K, still didn't. 
Harold Camping, do you remember him? He predicted Jesus would return in 1994, and he didn't. So he changed his mind to 2011, he still didn't. Jack Van Impey predicted 2012, still didn't. Hey guys, hey, I have an idea, I'm going crazy. Maybe let's not predict the day nor the hour of the Lord's return. Call me crazy, but I feel like somebody said that once, didn't they? But in all seriousness, let us beware of the tendency to take a Bible in one hand and a news feed in the other and use the news feed to predict things. If you want to look to something, here's what I would encourage you to look at. Look at your missionaries' newsletters. I mean, after all, didn't Jesus say, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come? What's going on with the nation state of Israel today may be a sign of the end. But I'll tell you what actually is for sure. The proclamation of the gospel in Phnom Penh, Cambodia. The church sending missionaries to Nepal into the remote villages of the Andes Mountains. The revival of the church that's going on in Iran today. Jesus is telling the disciples, you won't see the coming of the Son of Man in one small location. It will be everywhere and seen by all. He says, as lightning flashes and lights up the sky from one side to the other, so will the Son of Man be in His day. It will be sudden and it will be visible by all. One summer, some years ago when Sarah and I were still dating, we went to Cedar Point. And we were much younger then and so we would stay until the park actually closed. Like today, we stay till dinner time, and we're like, whew, we're exhausted. Well, I don't know if they still do this, but in those days, they would do a fireworks display at the close of, of the park for whatever day. And so we were there watching the fireworks display, the music going along with it. It was, a, it was good. It was a nice, good time. There was a storm rolling in. And right as the fireworks display reached its finale, God decided that he had his own fireworks display and a lightning exploded across the sky. It was one of the most beautiful things I've ever seen. And I'll tell you what, every single person saw it. It lit up the whole sky and everyone yelled. It was amazing. It was a good time. Jesus says, that's how it's going to be in his day. It won't be secret. You won't have to go looking for the signs. It will be sudden, it will be public, and everyone will see it. But first, he says, he must suffer many things and be rejected by this generation. He has to go to the cross. He must die and be raised on the third day. And after that, the gospel will go to the ends of the earth, and then the end will come. Are you ready for that day? Are you ready for the Lord to split the sky, for lightning to explode, and for Him to come again? I hope you are, because many will not be. And that brings us to our third point. The world isn't ready. The world isn't ready. This is verse 26. 
just as it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the days of the Son of Man. They were eating and drinking and marrying and being given in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, just as when in in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, buying and selling, planting and building. But on the day when Lot went out from Sodom, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed them all. So it will be on the day when the Son of Man is revealed. On that day, that the one who is on the house stop with his goods in the house, not come down and take them away. And likewise, the one who is in the field not turn back. Remember Lot's wife. So Jesus likens his day to two events in human history. The destruction of the earth by the flood in the days of Noah, and the destruction of the city Sodom in the days of Lot. The Bible says in Noah's day, the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. The earth was corrupt, was filled with violence. Noah was a righteous man. Blameless in his generation. Second Peter 2 calls him a herald of righteousness. God came to Noah and revealed that he was going to destroy the earth with a flood. And told Noah to build an ark, a great big boat. And to put his family inside the ark. And that they would be protected from the judgment that would come. Hebrews 11 says that Noah's construction of the ark stood as a condemnation to the world. But the people didn't care. Well, they just carried on eating and drinking, getting married. Well, you wonder if anyone even ever asked Noah, what you building, bud, out here in the desert? Did anyone see the message? Apparently, they just kept on, business as usual, giving little thought to God, little concern or fear for His judgment. And then one day, Noah entered the ark, and it started to rain, and the flood came and destroyed them all. And the judgment of God fell on Noah and his family, as it did everyone else, but because they were encapsulated in the ark. They were lifted above the waters and saved. A similar thing took place in the ancient city of Sodom. A man named Lot, who was the nephew of Abraham, was dwelling in a town called Sodom, which was a notoriously wicked town. And the Bible says that Lot's soul was distressed for the lawlessness, the sensual conduct of the people of the city. The people... On the other hand, just unconcerned with their self-indulgence. They ate and drank and bought and sold and planted and built, giving no thought to God, seemingly unconcerned of breaking the law of God that had been written on their hearts. And two angels came to Sodom and warned Lot of the destruction that was coming. And they sent Lot and his family out of the city before the judgment fell. And then once Lot and his wife 
and his children were safe, fire and sulfur rained down from heaven and destroyed the city and everyone in it. So it will be, Jesus said, when the Son of Man is revealed. The day when Christ is revealed, there will be a sudden outpouring of God's judgment upon the wicked. The destruction of the ungodly, those who are going about their lives indifferent to the things of God, thinking little to nothing of the righteousness of God, suppressing God's truth in unrighteousness. And destruction will be swift, and many will be caught unprepared. They've dismissed the warnings of God. They've never given serious thought to the state of their souls before God. And Jesus tells the disciples that when that time comes, there won't be time to go down into your house and to gather your things or to run in from the field to get everything in order. This destruction will be sudden. It will be tragic. And then Jesus says, remember Lot's wife. Those of you who've read the story of Lot and his wife will remember that Lot was able to get his wife out of Sodom, but not get Sodom out of his wife. God told Lot to flee Sodom and to not look back. And Lot's wife looked back. And the Bible says she was turned into a pillar of salt. While her body left Sodom, Apparently, her heart remained there. She held on to something in that wicked city. Perhaps she loved the things of the world more than the things of God. Her heart was divided. And her life, PBC, serves as a reminder to us all, as a lesson to us all. God has called us out of the world. Ephesians 4 says, put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and put on the new self, created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Church Lot's wife reminds us of the danger of looking back and longing for our former manner of life. That life of sin has been judged by the fire and sulfur that was poured out on Jesus Christ at the cross. Our old self was crucified. We died with Him. We laid in the grave with Him when He went into the grave. And when He was raised, we were raised to new life. The Bible says anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. Christian, you are no longer a slave to sin. You were dead to sin. And now you are, you are dead to sin. And now you are alive to God in Christ Jesus. Romans 6.4 says, We were buried therefore with Him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Remember, Lot's wife, don't look back. You died. That's no longer who you are. 
What did our pastor teach us last Lord's Day? Colossians chapter 3, your life is hidden with Christ in God. So number one, religion can't see the kingdom. Number two, no eye will miss the kingdom. And number three, the world isn't ready for the kingdom. And then finally, only those who lose their life will receive the kingdom. Only those who lose their life will receive the kingdom. This is verse 33 to the end. Whoever seeks to preserve his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life will keep it. I tell you, in that night there will be two in one bed. One will be taken and the other left. There will be two women grinding together. One will be taken and the other left. And they said to him, where, Lord? And he said to them, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. This is the paradox of the Christian life. That if we live our lives our way, doing things our way, giving no thought to the preciousness of Christ, we will lose our lives. On the other hand, if we lay down our lives for Christ, for the sake of His gospel, proclaiming His excellencies, then we will gain our lives. And the question is, will we? Will we lay down our lives for the sake of Christ and for His gospel? The cravings of Sodom run deep, and the longing to keep looking back is strong. In some ways, it's easier to lay down our lives if a gun was put to our head for being a Christian than to lay down our lives by admitting that we're wrong or to lay down our lives by turning away from pornography or to lay down our lives by entrusting ourselves to the Lord while enduring suffering or to lay down our lives by giving someone the benefit of the doubt. Or to lay down our lives by living under our means in order that we might be generous. Or to lay down our lives by being patient. Some of us may lose our lives physically for following Christ. But all of us will lose our lives spiritually for following Him. And I think in some ways that's the more difficult of the two. To not turn back to self-indulgence in Sodom. Because after all, the cravings of Sodom run deep. And we need to be rescued. We need a rescuer. And the good news is, we have one. You understand that Jesus Christ is the ark of God. He has gathered His people into Himself. And just like the waters fell on the ark in Noah's day, the flood of God's judgment was poured out on Christ. And like Noah and his family, those who have been encased in Christ are lifted above the waters of God's judgment. In Christ, God has affirmed His covenant promises to His people, recapitulated the mandates to His people, and He has set His people free into a renewed creation. 
I heard an interesting thought this week. That while waiting on the ark, Noah sent out a dove to see if the waters had receded enough. And this dove came back with a leafy twig in its beak, a sign that the new creation had dawned. And when Jesus Christ came up out of the waters of baptism, what appeared but a dove, indicating that in Him, God's people would find new life beyond the waters of judgment, that in Him, the new creation had dawned, the new covenant had begun. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Godhead, sent He was sent on a rescue mission for God's people to save them from their sins. He lived the truly righteous life that we have not lived. And the judgment of God for our sins was poured out on Him. And all who turn to Him in faith enter the ark, as it were, and are saved from the judgment of God for their sins. Friend, if you've never repented of your sins and turned to God for mercy, do that today. Before you leave this place, find someone who looks like a regular around here. If someone invited you to church, ask them to lunch after and ask them to tell you more about Jesus Christ. He has absorbed the wrath of God for your sin and in Him you can find salvation and protection from the judgment that you deserve. Friend, if you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, do that today. Don't leave this place ignoring the warnings of God. That tug that you feel on your heart, that is God the Holy Spirit drawing you to God the Son. Don't be like those in Noah's day and just going about your business as if that doesn't matter. Don't be like those in Sodom just going about your business as if the judgment of God didn't matter. Friend, there's only one safe place to be when the Lord returns, and that is to be in Christ. Let's listen carefully to the passages that follow. There's some confusion here. There's some difficulty here. Let's admit that. But remember, the main point is the plain point. The plain point is that there's a separation. So keep that in mind. A separation is coming at the end. Jesus says, a man and a wife will be in their bed, and one will be taken, and the other one will be left. Two, two women will be milling food. One will be taken, and the other one will be left. And again, we have a couple of interpretive options, because a few people read this to mean that the ones taken are taken off to glory while the others are left behind. And people have made a lot of money running with that narrative. Others read this to mean that they're taken away to judgment. The disciples ask, where, Lord? And Jesus says, where the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. It's a gruesome picture. Pick dead bodies and vultures feasting. It seems to me that the ones taken are the ones separated unto judgment. Which it is, isn't really the point. The plain thing is the main thing. The main thing is that the day of the Son of Man will be when there's a separation between the converted and the unconverted. This is like the Lord's parable in in Matthew 13, where the wheat and the weeds are separated. The weeds are gathered first, burned. The wheat gathered into the barn. Who is taken and who is left is not the point. The point is that the day of Christ will mark a great separation. 
God's judgment is coming. And only those who are in Christ will be safe. Those who are without Christ will be left to face their Creator alone. For those who are in Christ, that day will be a great day. For the King will come in all of His glory with the saints of God to bring heaven to earth. But for those who are not in Christ, it will be a terrible day. But for those of us who have been united to Christ by faith, it's the day that we all long for. For one day soon, and how we can't wait for that day. He's coming back. Today we remember the persecuted church across the world. And churches across this world today are being persecuted physically. Persecuted in many ways we can't comprehend. And we remember them and we pray for them. And with them we long for the return of Christ. For the day when everything sad becomes untrue. When the perishable is raised imperishable. When the dementia patient sown in dishonor is raised in glory. When the infirm and the weak are raised in power. The day when death will be no more. We as God's people wait eagerly for that day. When every eye will see him. When the sky will split and the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command and the voice of an archangel and with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Even so, come Lord Jesus. Amen. Father, please receive our great thanks for the teaching of Jesus. While some of the things that the Lord has said here have been difficult to understand, the main point is clear that Jesus wins. He is coming for His people. So Lord, would you give us grace to endure well and to look forward with great enthusiasm and expectation for that day. And let us live with the urgency of His soon coming return as we share the good news of the kingdom with our friends and co-workers, our neighbors and our family. Forgive us, Lord, for living our lives without the thought of the end, without thought to the great separation that is coming. Forgive us, Lord, for caring more about the signs of the end than we, we are about those who are not ready for it. Forgive us, Lord, for losing track of what's most important. And send us your Holy Spirit with urgency and boldness to proclaim your gospel, the excellencies of Christ, in Piqua, Miami County, and the world, until Christ is all. Amen. If you would please stand to your feet as I read the assurance of pardon at the end of our services Having heard God's word and recognized all the ways that we have failed to walk it out, we seek God's word for an assurance of pardon. For those of us who are trusting in Jesus Christ, 
for the forgiveness of our sins, we find this assurance of pardon appearing in 1 John. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin.